0: This podcast is being brought to you in part by the veteran-founded Hero Soap Company located in Phoenix, Arizona. In today's environment, we must be aware of the products we apply to our skin. As a two-time cancer survivor, I cannot afford to take chances, and I use these products myself. The soaps will leave you feeling clean and refreshed. All the products made by the Hero Soap Company are made in the United States with the highest quality ingredients sourced from companies in the United States whenever possible. The products are made in small batches to ensure high quality and contain premium essential oils and fragrance. All Hero soaps are created without synthetic colorants, parabens, and sulfates that are irritating to the eyes, skin, mouth, and lungs, and are cruelty-free, meaning these products are not tested on animals. Each 5-ounce bar of soap is handmade in Phoenix, Arizona, and the body wash is available in 8 ounces with such refreshing scents as the woods, Tea Tree, Lavender, The Fields, Bourbon, Lime, The Pines, and Arctic. You will absolutely love this soap. Please also check out their gear for sale. All the products are reasonably priced. Being veteran-founded, the company understands the dedication and sacrifice that each family makes to serve their country. A portion of sales is donated back to charities that are focused on helping veterans and our first responders. Over 1,200 bars have been sent to our deployed troops please check out their website, Company.com, for pricing and a detailed description of all the products. When ordering, use the code RAP for a 10% discount. The company information will be listed in the podcast notes and featured on the podcast website, Facebook group page, and the podcast Instagram. Welcome, everyone. It's A Wrap with Wrap. I am your host, Ron Rappaport. Before we start, I would like to thank all our listeners, sponsors, and supporters that have helped to make this podcast so successful. The podcast is being heard in all 50 states, all provinces of Canada, and over 45 countries around the world. The podcast has just been ranked by Feedspot as one of the top 35 overcoming adversity podcasts from thousands of podcasts on the web and is ranked by traffic, social media followers, domain authority, and content freshness. This podcast features people who have overcome life's challenges and adversities, people who can inspire, motivate, and educate us on an assortment of topics. My guest today is Patrick Moffitt. Pat is an internationally acclaimed author and producer. Pat served as vice president of global logistics and customs compliance at Vox International Corporation, from 1980 to 2017, he began his career in the Bill of Lading Department for an ocean cargo carrier at just 17 years old. After serving in the United States Army for two years, including 14 months in Vietnam, Pat re-entered the business world and held high positions in the international trade world. Pat is the author of the critically acclaimed book, Fortunate <clears throat> Soldier, about his service during the Vietnam War, one of the few comedies ever written about the conflict. Pat's second book, Ice Cream in the Cupboard, is about his family's struggle with early-onset Alzheimer's disease. This book has also been translated into Spanish and Chinese. In 2019, Pat brought his book to life with the award-winning film, Ice Cream in the Cupboard, which can be viewed on Amazon and many other platforms. Pat has received numerous awards for his work for raising awareness and providing support for the caregivers and loved ones of early-onset Alzheimer's victims. Pat is here with us today to do what he is passionate about, raise awareness, and provide support for caregivers and individuals diagnosed mm-hmm. with early-onset Alzheimer's disease. Welcome, Pat, to the podcast. We're so glad you can be with us. And also, I want to thank you for your service to our great country. Uh, thank you, Ron. Good to be here mm-hmm. with you. Great to have you. Look, really looking forward to discussing the subject with you. Tell us about your wife, Carmen. Uh, before she uh, attracted early onset Alzheimer's and what your life was like before Alzheimer's started in
1: 1998. Well, life was uh, fairly normal. We a uh, uh, young couple working hard. Uh, she was working in the school system. Uh, of course, I was in logistics, as you just mentioned. Um, we had a couple of bumps in our in the road in our uh, earlier days. In the 1980s, we separated for a few years and then are going back together. And I uh, got the kids raised, and, and uh, life was just, you know, on top of it. We were having just a great marriage again, and things were wonderful until 1998.
0: Until 1998. Matt, tell us what age group is affected, and how many people are affected with this early onset Alzheimer's in the United well, States?
1: Yeah, you know, my, my focus with the work with caregivers and so on is, is the early onset category. And uh, that group is 65 years. Old and younger, so but you'll you'll see people 67, 68 that get this. It's still a young sort of case, but the majority, when they count the numbers, are you know 65 and under. Right now, we have uh, it's usually about three to five percent of of the um, uh, total Alzheimer's population. So in the United States, we have five million Alzheimer's cases. So the range would be about. 250,000 or so uh, early onset, which is, you know, a, a fairly big number.
0: Yeah. Uh, when I was uh, researching it, I even got figures ranging from 220 uh, to 640,000. So, yeah. so can you tell our audience the symptoms we need to be aware of, of early onset Alzheimer's?
1: Well, we come to uh, uh, some of the basic ones uh, that uh, affects all levels of having this disease. What's a such thing as memory loss? Difficult adding and subtracting, uh, not be able to do daily functions. Uh, personal hygiene uh, starts to be uh, compromised. Um, it, it's uh, you kind of withdraw from work and, and being in mixed company. Uh, confusion and really one of the big ones was with the early onset is not only aggressive but violent behavior, and and that that's a big one.
0: Now, since early onset Alzheimer's cannot be prevented, uh, what can we do to, pre- to uh, reduce the risk?
1: Well, I always say that, you know, they um, have a good uh, diet, you know, exercise regularly. And these are, these are more or less things that would be involved in other diseases as well. Uh, but the, the big one that I point to is um, be mentally active. And by that, I mean... Sudoku, so crossword, just reading, word find. I, I tell people that are getting older uh, that you know don't sit in front of the TV and watch quiz shows and and soap operas all day. That's not good. You're opening up the door uh, for dementia when you do that. So you need to stay active.
0: Right, right, and those word games uh, help a lot. I'm sure. I see oh, a lot. Of, yeah, I see hopefully. a lot of older people playing. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and no, especially what so they have, have
1: today, do and that really tells you.
0: you know. Yeah. Now, how is early onset Alzheimer's diagnosed? How do they so, diagnose it?
1: Well, the, right now they have PET scans, which is uh, uh, one way. They have another thing called the cerebrospinal fluid, which is kind of a, an invasive uh, sort of test. There is blood tests that they can take. Uh, but it seems that most of the uh, medical community really relies on uh, the cognitive testing. And, you know, by that, I mean, we take three words. Let's take a table, car, and wall. Okay. And and, and they'll say that to this possible uh, person being tested and say, okay, I'm going to come back to them. uh, But remember those three words. And the person that's testing will talk about the weather for a minute or two and say, what were those three words again? And the person with dementia or Alzheimer's has a struggle with it. Can't remember them. Maybe one of them or two of them. Never remembers all of them. Right, so that's always a big concern.
0: So it's a lot of cut.
1: those are, there are tests like that. That's the cognitive approach.
0: Any blood tests that they have?
1: Yeah, there is a blood test. Yeah, I mean, blood test can be done. It's called a PTAU two one seven. Is is the one that that can be tested and I, I won't get into any of the technical stuff with it, but you know, it, it's another way for uh, being uh, uh, diagnosed.
0: So before Carmen, your wife had shown signs of early onset Alzheimer's. Pat, did you even know anything about it? Did you even know it existed? It, was it just was it on the radar at all, or not really?
1: Well, I, I knew it existed, but of course, so much of America, right to this day, and that will hear this broadcast at some point, um, will be shocked to hear that what under sixty five, you know, so. When all this started to come around, I went, yeah, you get it 80 or 90. So I got nothing to worry about right now. Right. When, when karma was diagnosed, she was 53 and I was 49, you know, so you're not thinking this at all. It is not even close to you thinking that, oh, it might be Alzheimer's. It's just not a consideration.
0: Right. So really wasn't really on the radar at all.
1: Yeah. I went in heart when yeah. what,
0: what was the first extreme sign that alerted you, uh, to something was off with your wife's behavior
1: well the we had a, a saturday afternoon we we're just uh, sitting home and i was watching a ball game and she was sitting out on the deck with uh, my stepdaughter and they were having a glass of wine it was a nice uh, Saturday day and um suddenly she just burst into the room had a glass of wine in her hand threw the wine in my face and said you know you 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 paid for my girlfriend's funeral. I can't believe you did this. What would you do? Just yelling at
0: My st- Let me take a very brief moment out to alert all our patients and caregivers out there that Rare Patient Voice, a supporter of the podcast, is paying for your input. Patients 16 years and older and caregivers, family, and friends of any disability, disorder, syndrome, illness, or condition have the opportunity to express their opinions through surveys and interviews to improve medical products and services. Who knows your journey better than you? Rare Patient Voice puts you in touch with researchers who are developing products and services that can help you and others with your condition. These researchers need input of patients to develop products and services that have significant impact on patients' lives. Over the past nine years, Rare Patient Voice has paid patients over $10 million. When you join Rare Patient Voice, you may be invited to participate in interviews, surveys, or online communities where you will share your insights. Rare Patient Voice usually has hundreds of studies running at any time, so there are many opportunities to participate. You will earn $120 per hour for participating in these studies. By making your voice heard, you are a catalyst for change. Rest assured, your input will be used to help other patients like you. There is no cost at all to you, the participant. You can get more information and sign up by clicking the link in the sponsor's notes.
1: Stepdaughter's looking at me like, I didn't know. She just stood up and ran. Right. So This is crazy.
0: What's going on?
1: Yeah. And, and of course, this was she was referring to a girlfriend of hers that I had dated way back in the 80s when we were separated. And, and that was old, old news. And how this snapped like that. And and a couple of the social workers that I began early with with Alzheimer's said, you know, early onset is it's a light switch. It just goes and you have to be ready for it when it does. And that's so true. So we dealt with that. And of course, 10 minutes later, right? She didn't speak or do anything. And within an hour, she seemed like nothing had happened. So I said, okay, it's a little weird, but Maybe she just had a, a bad scene going on. Maybe there's the wine. I don't know. So, Maybe a uh, bad night.
0: Maybe she was waking up from a bad nightmare or something, right?
1: Oh, I mean, yeah. Absolutely, yeah.
0: Who, who yeah. knows? So did you contact Carmen's doctor to see if there was any uh, underlying health issues when all this well, was going on?
1: Yeah, I, I thought I said, this. Could, you know, of course, again, I'm still at the, on the level of not even considering Alzheimer's. So I'm just looking at everywhere else. So I contacted the local uh, internist, and I said, well, "What do you, what do you think about this behavior?" And he said, "Well, you know, sometimes you know, uh, 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 vitamin B six deficiency, of vitamin B six, uh, vitamin B twelve, you know." So okay, so I got the vitamins, bought vitamin B twelve, B six, you know. and Then I went to her obstetrician, and I said, "You know what? You know what? Do you think this is menstrual? You know, is it is this something that, that changes in life?" And he said, no, she's too young for that. I don't think he said, although no, those things, because, you know, menopause cause come with some uh, aggressive behavior uh, in all women that get to that yeah. age in life. And um, and he said that, uh, no, he said, I've had her exam all gone. She seemed fine. I don't think it's in that direction at all. So then I was totally lost because I couldn't find anything else.
0: Right, right. So I think, the gist of that is if you can't find answers just keep looking right keep right, asking exactly. yeah, yeah. yeah yeah is there any uh, any history of Alzheimer's in the family
1: well when I got into the started to write uh, ice cream in the cover and came up with the whole idea to frame it out well, <clears throat> there was nobody in the family that remembered much about um, Carmen's parents uh, I knew her mother had died uh, of uh, breast cancer. Almost about 15 remember telling me that she was very lucid uh, before she died. and um, But no one seemed to know much about the father, except for the fact that he was an alcoholic and he died in a nursing home. So I got a hold of one of the aunts of the family down in North Carolina. She had them raised down in uh, Fort Bragg, uh, North Carolina, the 82nd Airborne Division brat. And uh, I got a hold of one of the aunts and I said, Was there any. Amelia was her father's name. I said, Was there anything odd about him at all? You know? Uh, so I said, she says, Well, you know, he drank all the time. He was always drunk. And, you know, I said, Well, how about his behavior? He worked, he was, he was a garment cutter on the old 37th Street in Manhattan the garment district. And she said, Well, there was something there. She said, You know, he went out to one several times and couldn't find his way back to work. She said, Now come to think of it, there was a couple of times he left the building, but he couldn't find his way home at somewhere. He rolled the somebody for four or five hours until somebody found him. So no one, everyone looked at it it was just alcohol that was doing this. It wasn't the alcohol. It could have been a good mixture of that, but yeah. certainly this had uh, the Alzheimer's connected to
0: it. Kat, tell us how you found out about her actual diagnosis. How did, when, when was she actually diagnosed with this?
1: Well, uh, the if, if I were, there were some things that were going on, you know, in the house, some of the forgetfulness and the behavior. And it was, uh, it was really bad. Um, and, and she came home one day and she said, you know, can I sit, sit down? I want to talk to you. And I said, sure. And I sat down and she said, um, I have a touch of Alzheimer's. I said, a touch? I said, isn't that kind of like being a little bit pregnant? Yeah. She said, no, I have I have full-blown Alzheimer's, I was told today. And so I, I had come to find out that uh, uh, she was uh, in the school system where she was working. It was an elementary school. And everything that Conway was doing at the time, she was so good at it. She was a budget administrator and completely forgot to do the school budget. When they asked her for it, she went, "I, I don't do that. And then she was taking care of the bus passes for the kids at school, gave the wrong buses to the wrong groups. Kids were going this way and that way. Uh-huh. Uh, and a couple of times the parent would go and say listen, don't put my daughter on the bus today, I'm coming to pick her up for going shopping and they were talking to Carmen she hung up the phone, that call no longer existed so the child of course would get there on the bus at home and there was nobody home, they'd sit on the steps they woke up for neighbors, they call the police and this happened a couple of times so they it all zeroed back to Carmen's phone and, sure. come to school. and that was it so they told Carmen at the school, listen You need to go to up to Notro Hospital. We have a doctor up there. You need to take a look and go for an exam with them. If there's something wrong with you, okay, we'll know about it then. We can deal with it. And if we have to, you have to go on disability or anything, at least you have that. But if you refuse to take the exam, we have to let you go for calls.
0: There's no
1: other explanation here. Or she went up there that day and, and with the cognitive test right away, wasn't even close. So I wasn't even involved in anything, and I just heard from her that evening.
0: Wow, yeah, that must have been quite a shock.
1: Oh, just stunned, and all that's you know started to ring back into my head again, of all the places I was tracking around trying to figure out what could this be. It all came down to that.
0: Yeah, yeah, it all it all fell into place. So, can you explain to us the changes that you, as a caregiver, or all caregivers of of uh, early onset Alzheimer's or Alzheimer's, that you have to make uh, to accommodate the patient uh, remaining calm and steady? Uh, what kind of changes do you have to go through?
1: Well, you 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 know you really have to um, be able to take care of all of the family business. You know, there, there are. You know, what documents do you have? Where are things located? Um, and and in trying to keep the patient on uh, a, a a good solid level, uh, and you know, not everything is where you have to. You know, quit, don't quit your job and stay home. She was good for quite a while being by herself. There was nothing too drastic. She never left the house, uh, or she walked the dog. She knew how to come back to the house, and and all was fine. So it's not until you reach that stage where you started to see some bad things going on that you really have to uh, consider all these things and, and see what best to do with her. And especially if you can get a uh, caregiver uh, to work with you, don't take it on yourself. Get the family involved, create a team. That's what you have to do and then to work with her.
0: How many How many years was she pretty like pretty good where you didn't have to worry about all that?
1: Unfortunately, only about two. Wow, Uh, um, Because um, it had reached a point that the violent behavior got so bad, the Alzheimer's daycare center called me up and they said uh, she was only there about two months. And they said, Mr. Muffin, your wife has to be removed. And I said, what what happened? I thought we were okay. She said, well, she punched out a 90-year-old man today and he got hurt bad. Wow. And the family's on the way down. And you need to come too the superior event. in the state of New York both the, the center and and the uh, family of the one that created this violent behavior thing are you know subject to lawsuit but the family was good that the old man was okay um, but you know she punched him pretty bad his face was pretty messed up and this is uh, they said that's it you know we're, we're done yeah. nothing we do we're risking so much here so I had a discussion with the doctors and they said the only thing you do at this stage is that first of all you're wearing down you know your blood pressure is skyrocketing your blood count is awful you've lost a ton of weight and that's why you're pouring too much into this and you know every especially the spouse or every husband or wife thinks so listen this is my wife this is my husband no one can take care of them better than me
0: right
1: and you're very adamant about it and then some people will try to help you when you push them away So they said the only thing you can do now. You have to send her for psychotic drug testing, antipsychotic drug testing at this special hospital we have on our own. So I said, well, what, what do we hope this is going to result in? Well, first of all, we've got to get her calm. Everything else isn't working. And once we get her calm, hopefully we want to find out what cocktail mixture of these drugs will work. I think there were 28 of them uh, will work to, um, Calm. And put her in a calm state, and you know, you take her home, and then we move on to the next step. I said, "Okay, fine." And they said, "What you need to do is take a little vacation. Don't take a guilt trip, but take a regular trip. You, know, you need right. to get away, spend a little time with the family, whatever. Take a breather for these three weeks. And after three weeks are up, they called me in, and, and I met with uh, uh, two psychiatrists, a couple of social workers, and they said, 'Mr. this is one of the worst cases we've ever seen Wow. because the the, the antipsychotic drugs that we're giving her.'" very high book. And we have to recommend strongly, it's your decision, but we have to recommend strongly that you do not take her home, that she move into 24-7 care immediately. She's a danger to herself. Anybody she comes near, and she's certainly a danger to you. So that was sort of the decision was made for me. Uh, Being a danger, you know, I'm one thing, but being a danger to herself, uh, the children, burning the house down. I mean, there's so much that goes on. Uh, you and I could talk about somebody's incidents all night. Yeah. Uh, but that was the decision, that's why I had to do it. So it was just two years because the disease accelerated so quickly. Yeah. And you know, the drugs that they they were giving her that slow it down, which are still used today, really had a little effect. So that's where we were going. And the nursing home will not take you unless you prove that these psychotic drugs are coming with you and they can they can administer them.
0: Yeah, because they, they don't want they don't want the liability either.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. the same thing. You know, it's a very lonely feeling, Rob. Huh? Yeah. It's like nobody wants you, you know, and uh you you know, worked hard all your life and this is where we are.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's terrible. Uh can you explain to our audience what is and what's the effect sundowning plays in your in your daily routine? This is where the sun goes down, it's getting kind of late in the afternoon, early evening. Yeah, uh,
1: and that's exactly the time frame you pick. And it seems that their biological clock in, in the Alzheimer's and dementia changes when that time of day rolls in. I mean, I, I've listened to a couple of speeches on this. And uh, one of the things that when I was an executive, I'm not the nicest guy in the world about six, seven o'clock either. You know, I'm pretty worn down and I'm a little cranky. And, and so does, you know, an Alzheimer's patient. That's not their best time of day. So that the caregiver really has to concentrate on distraction. That's what to do with that. Take a look at some old pictures, look at some old albums, you know, go for a walk together, take the dog out, you know, but do things together, don't leave the patient or the loved one, you know, sitting in a room by herself. Try to keep them busy. And then, you know, then the day time may have been um, quite active I mean, during the day is quite active. They're worse when your son So try to slow the day down and break it up a little bit. Don't you know? Don't run them into the ground doing things. You know, try to space their activities.
0: Right. Let me break away for a moment to tell you about a 304-page doctor-written and approved guide on how to manage most health situations. When help is not on the way or while you are waiting for it to arrive. If you want to see what happens when things go south, all you have to do is look at Venezuela. No electricity, no running water, no law, no antibiotics, no painkillers, no anesthetics, no insulin, and other important things. But if you want to find out how you can still manage in a situation like that, you must also look to Venezuela and learn the ingenious ways they developed to cope. The guide was written by a team of three people, Dr. Mabel Nieves, who is still working as a frontline doctor in Caracas, Dr. Rodrigo Alterio, who lived and treated isolated communities deep in the Amazon jungle where there are no doctors or pharmacies for thousands of miles, and is currently practicing surgery at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center in Dallas, and Claude Davis, a survival and natural remedies expert. Together, they created something unique, a practical guide when there is no doctor, pharmacy, or hospital. Dr. Nieves is known for developing new, ingenious methods of treating patients after Venezuela's economy collapsed, and hospital and pharmacies ran out of medicine, supplies, electricity, and running water. The methods she developed and pioneered are now studied and applied in conflict zones all over the world. Many of these protocols and procedures do not require medical assistance as they are specifically applied To be self-applied that makes them extremely valuable if the medical system cannot be depended on like during long-term blackouts and natural disasters now some of the things you will find inside the guide 10 medical supplies you need to have in your house the biggest mistakes you can make in a blackout how to recognize a heart attack and what to do next what happens when you take expired medications the only four antibiotics you need to stockpile legally without a prescription The best natural painkiller that grows in your backyard. An ingenious way to stockpile prescription medicines, including insulin. How to quickly recognize a stroke and what to do immediately afterward. What happens if you take the wrong probiotics? A simple at-home protocol for flu and other respiratory issues. And a step-by-step approach to deal with almost every skin injury and condition. How to take care of toothaches and mouth infections when you can't visit a dentist. And many other topics too numerous to mention. The guide would make an excellent gift and can be purchased by clicking the link in the podcast notes under Sponsor, which will have in-depth information about the guide. The guide sells for the incredibly low price of $37 for the digital version and $37 plus $9.99 shipping and handling for the physical copy. And for a limited time, there are two additional gifts in store for you, all still free of charge for now. Also, a sixty-day money-back guarantee is offered if you are not completely satisfied with your purchase. Once again, click the link in the podcast notes under sponsor. Sleep better, and the sun downing is a little lighter. Can you tell us some stories, Pat, uh, about the violent behavior seen at uh, with 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 this disease, especially in the older people? Can can you tell us some stories that about that give our audience an, an idea?
1: I'd like to give you this Puerto Rico story if if, if that's okay
0: with you. Sure, go ahead. That that, that was with us.
1: And this is horrifying. And I I just, I hate to see anybody go through anything close to this. As we were doing all this bickering and that before we had any kind of diagnosis when she got worse, I said, Carmen was from Puerto Rico, born there. And I said, um, you know, maybe we ought to get away. Let's go for a long weekend together. Relax, we go to Puerto Rico. You know, do a little shopping, you know, we just just play loose and, and unwind. Maybe that's what's why we're doing this bickering back and forth. And I mean, every husband and wife can bicker but this was way out of sort. Yeah. And so we got down there and, and um we uh we went to a uh, a restaurant called the Chalk House, one of my favorite restaurants from years ago. And I was sitting down at a table ordered steak and lobster, and I was looking over the side of the railing of the of the restaurant it was on a kind of a veranda on the second floor. And I said, Well, look at these cars 58 Ford, 52 Chevy, 61 Pontiac. You know, because of the temperature down here, these cars just last forever in Puerto And I turned my head back and I was hit in the face with a whole plate of steak and lobster. Wow. Just bashed. No reason, no argument, no nothing. No alcohol. I flipped out of the chair and went backwards and hit my head on the table behind me oh and she God. ran out of the restroom. I was covered with all kinds of stuff on my shirt. I was wearing a yellow cotton shirt. And they so they picked me up off the floor and uh, uh, I'm looking around totally there. She's gone. And I said to the maid of D, I said, please, let me, let me pay. Said, no, senor, that's okay. We have it. Just maybe take care of your wife. So I went running after her down the main drag of Puerto Rico, which is called Astrid Street. And I could see her, and she was moving fast, and I was running. And now you have a six-foot-three Irish guy chasing a five-foot-tall Puerto Rican woman down the middle of uh, San Juan. This is not a good thing. No. <laughs> this isn't good at all. Who's who's in the wrong here? Yeah. So the police saw me, and they chased. They came up and caught up to me and her at the same time. And I said, uh, I said, Senora, what's what's going on? What are you running through the streets? I said, my wife and I had a little argument. Well, we never had an argument. I'm just looking for things to say that might make sense to somebody. Yeah. And she says, we have no argument. I hate you. And she just hit me again in in the face. Oh, my God. So I said, okay. We slowed the whole thing down. We wound it down. I got her in a cab. The cops were okay by that. I said, we're going right back to the, the Hilton Hotel. And we got back to the room. She laid on the bed and went right to sleep. I was shaking, shaking wrong. Yeah. I went out on the terrace. There was, was a a uh, mini bar, and there were four cans of beer on the mini bar.
0: Time to hit the mini. That's cans. time to hit the mini bar.
1: Yeah, I took all four cans out on the terrace, drank the four cans, and and I, I just trying to make some sense of what just happened. And I started to calm down a little bit. And I figured, I'll just, just wait till she gets up. Well, about 30 minutes later, Carmen wakes up and walks out. She says, honey, I am starving. We're going to eat. Oh, wow. I said, I, said I, I tried that, and you threw your food at me. She says, you know, Patrick, you like to joke around a lot. That's not a joke. I would never do anything like that. And why did you get all this crap on your shirt anyway? You look terrible. <laughs> There's <laughs> absolutely no recollection of this major event with police throwing stuff, the whole thing. I got American Airlines on the phone. I said, get the first flight out in the morning. You know, And I got her a hamburger. She went to sleep and nothing happened. When we got back home, she was a little more calm. But that's when everything started to happen at the school, which I just mentioned to you before. But that was one horrible experience. I went back and told the kids, you know, mom threw a plate at me in a restaurant. And you weren't fighting and you
0: didn't
1: say anything? No, no, I didn't okay then. You were fighting,
0: you know. So I just no one believed
1: what I was saying. Yeah. And you it, know it, it was horrible
0: then. It has to be, I would imagine, as you keep getting into this more and more. You're walking on eggshells, so to speak. Yes. Sure.
1: Oh, sure. And,
0: and that's gotta that's gotta be awfully stressful for a caretaker.
1: You oh, yeah,
0: know, yeah you know just I mean you never know you never know from minute to minute yeah
1: uh, as we've had that you're back to the old light switch thing
0: yeah okay. now your wife's two sisters and brothers a uh, brother passed away from early onset Alzheimer' uh I assume heredity are there any uh, now today are there any genetic tests for this
1: uh there is a genetic test it's it's a um, the gene for um for Alzheimer's is APOE4 gene, and so there's a, there is a test for that to be tested for that gene. But uh, one of my stepdaughters is a, is a doctor, and, and she's a twin. They're twin girls, and they said to me, Dad, you know, okay, so you go get the test. What do you do then? You know, we're we're, we're you know we're at a stage where life is. You're not going to change anything. They can't do anything with the test except yeah, you got it, and you're probably going to get Alzheimer's. or you may get Alzheimer's but you could have get it at 90 as well. And now the girls have passed 55 years old and they don't have anything. So, you know, it's kind of a weird thing. So they do have that test, but what do you do with it? They're working on things where if you get tested, maybe at 30 or so, and you find out you have it, that they may have medications at that point in time, but that's still down the road right
0: now. That's down the road. Okay. What are some of the life lessons, uh, as an Alzheimer caretaker that you've learned.
1: You know the, the real major one, Ron, I have to tell you, I I was so more appreciative to life uh, watching Carmen and my wife just rock away from this disease. And uh, that I promised myself um, I was going to make every day count more than I ever did before. And I said that after Vietnam too. If I get home I'm going to make sure things I'm going to take every day is going to be very special. Right. And then I kind of drifted off and, you know, you do what you go about your business. This time, I really meant it. So it's it's learning the importance of life and how fragile uh, every breath that you take really is. That's what I learned.
0: What are some of the most important things uh, an Alzheimer caretaker must always be aware of uh, on a continual basis with an Alzheimer patient? What do you what do you have to what do you have to concentrate on every day?
1: Well, you are referring from the caregiver point of view. Yeah. Well, they you know they they have to get them into routines. Okay. They have they have to, you know, be careful not to try to keep them away from mirrors. You know, because they tend to look at it, and that's when they have the agnosia where they don't know who they're looking at.
0: Oh uh, right, right.
1: Yeah. And that can absolutely turn violent. Um, as, as a caregiver of myself dealing just with that, I, I had Carmen. We were on a two story house, and Carmen was upstairs for a while. And I said, well 15 minutes, she's upstairs, something could be wrong. And I ran upstairs because I, I didn't cover the mirror. And she used a magic marker on her face and said, Honey, how do you like my makeup? This looks good. Oh, <laughs> all, wow, there's so many things you have to watch out for, you know. And then when the violent behavior picked up, of course. Forks, knives, anything that could do any kind of damage to you.
0: Because yeah. and,
1: and, there was uh, a scene that's it's actually in the movie as well, and I wrote about it, um, uh, regarding a, a knife. I woke up in the middle of the night, and I saw her get up. It was dark. I saw her get into the dresser, opened up the dresser, pulled out something. Uh, she had uh, pajamas or whatever and wrapped pajamas around her and went back to bed. So she went back to sleep and I went in and I found a Vietnam a knife that I had from Vietnam she had in the drawer. Now what was she gonna do with it? Was yeah. that going into my chest next? You know, that's when you know I gotta get everything away from her. Yeah. So she can't hurt me or anybody else for that.
0: Matter. What about yeah. what, what about yeah. her taking off, you know, just leaving the home and with no supervision?
1: Oh yeah, that, that was that's one of the biggest things that the caregivers have to deal with today with the early onset. And uh, I can let me give you a, a couple of examples for this when we talk about a caregiver. When you select a caregiver, it should be with a, a you know a, a license from when people are trained to deal with the early onset version of Alzheimer's, right? Or Alzheimer's in general, if you're more comfortable with that. Now I happen to hire a caregiver who came well recommended. Uh, that she knew, uh, work with Alzheimer's patients, and, the, and, the, and the, the loved one has to stay home with the wife or husband while the caregiver is blending in with the patient. Uh, this won't uh, this go like, you throw her on her, uh, and you say, okay, here you go, I'm out of here, you know, because they're going to attack that caregiver. But if you blend slowly into it, it works better. So I saw this woman, uh, and she would, she knew what to do. She was playing games. You know, she had Carmen distracted. You know, and I was much more comfortable. But the one day I when I didn't look at this person was it was a woman that was uh, not in the greatest physical condition. She was, she was somewhat overweight, and uh, she went to use the bathroom, and didn't take Carmen with her. She thought it'd be fine. Carmen was out the door. So she came down and found out she was gone. I came home as I was driving my car down the block from work. I could have sworn I saw my wife with a construction helmet. And I stopped the car and I said, I got out and the construction guy said, you know her? And I said, yeah, hey, it's my wife. I'm sorry. He says, oh my God, we were going to call the police. We didn't know what to do with her. She was going to jump in the ditch. You know, she said, I just want to work with you. Wow. And, 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 and so I got back. And with that, the kid comes running around the corner, yeah. puffing and puffing. and You know, <laughs> you know. so you make a mistake. You know, that's how you run. And, yeah. Uh, you know, that's not gonna make sure the caregivers his health is in some physical shape, especially for Orions. So she
0: so had a came. she she had a helmet on and Yeah, so they sure. said he said, Can I wear your helmet?
1: They didn't know what to do because she's dressed beautiful, it's a beautiful woman.
0: Yeah.
1: She was dressed beautiful, she was talking nice, you know. They just didn't know what to do. They're just gonna call police and see this woman's lost or something. Um the case had very sad case in uh Pennsylvania last winter. Uh, I think it was only one day we had, like, I know we had 60 inches of snow on the island. I think they had about 20 inches of snow in Pennsylvania. Uh, And um, Altoona, I think it was. And what happened was a uh, husband and a woman had early onset uh, for three or four years. She was at the age of 67. And she got up in the middle of the night and uh, walked out the door in her pajamas and just kept going. Husband thought she was going to the bathroom and went back to sleep. She went out the front door in the snowstorm. She got four blocks from her house, became totally disoriented. The snow was falling so heavy. She just crawled into a snowbank and stayed there. And wow. he realized, oh, my gosh, she wasn't <laughs> going to the bathroom. She got out. So he didn't take precautions to put an alarm on the door, to do the things you have to do to learn these things. That's yeah. why you have to study up when this happens. And she died in the snowbank. Oh, my hypothermia. God. died of hypothermia when she had early onset. Over one simple thing. There's that light switch again wrong. She got up out of bed. You thought that this was gonna actually gonna happen instead of why
0: happened. I mean, I, I know this was a while back, but did anybody uh tell you about this kind of thing to look out for? Mm-hmm. Like maybe you might wanna, you know, take the bleach and put it up, you know, where they can't find it or you know, whatever, or lock the well, door at night. I mean,
1: were you well, alerted?
0: They the social workers
1: that I, I was with on the island, yes. yes, they were they were very good that way. You know, trying to keep an eye on this, keep an eye on this, and they would always check in on the phone, and make sure I was okay with these things. But you know, sometimes out in, in the country and places like that, they don't they don't do that. They don't get recommended, right? They don't get any recommendations, and that's sad because that was yes. a simple matter. That woman's life could have been saved.
0: Oh, maybe absolutely. Just a simple photo on the door. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, but that- yeah, you do need that guidance. And that's one of the reasons that I do the things with you right now.
0: Yeah. Someone will
1: learn something from this.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And there's people who are going to be listening to this all over the the world and who don't don't even know.
1: An elderly case up in the Bronx last year, there was two guys They were friends. One was 87, one was 88. The 87-year-old had Alzheimer's. The 88-year-old did not. In the middle of the night, the 87-year-old went down to his friend's room. They weren't in the room banged his head on the floor and killed him. Went back to his room and went back to bed. So they found the other guy on the floor in the morning and until they sort of checked the cameras, nobody heard this guy even booming. They saw him go down there and come back. Wow. You know, and he had Alzheimer's. Wow. Woman up in, in, in Massachusetts. One more, I'll give you one more. Okay. Woman uh, 100 and a roommate's 99 years old. The 99-year-old does not have Alzheimer's, the 100-year-old does. So the 99-year-old woman's son comes in and says, listen, this woman keeps threatening me every day. I don't want to be here. Can't she get me out of this room? You know, because, well, she hasn't done anything. I think you just guys are rambling and walking like two little old ladies. You know, She said, no, this woman, you don't know what she says to me during the day when you're not here and there's nobody around. She's constantly threatening me. Well, two months later, they found the 19 the year old woman dead on the floor, right? And a, a plastic bag from a, from a waste paper basket, right, was put around her neck and just closed it. Then the 100-year-old woman had killed the 99-year-old.
0: Oh, my God. With,
1: with the plastic bag. Wow. And the son had a little with that decision by not moving. So, and those are elderly cases. Now, are they every week wrong? Absolutely not. But there's a lot more out there than whatever gets reported.
0: Yeah, but who knows? We probably don't get all the stories, obviously. Oh, no. A lot of it's, you know, just swept under the rug.
1: If they can check a box that says, oh, dementia involved. Okay, next fall court. yeah, Yeah. But who's going to carry that message forward? So maybe we get a chance to save
0: somebody along the way. Absolutely. Or at least alert people to, to what's going on. Pat, what yeah. prompted you to write Ice Cream in the Cupboard? Uh, make yourself vulnerable out there, put yourself out there, and how long did it take you to write the book?
1: Uh, it took uh, just about five months. And, and it, was, it, was, it was so much more fresh in my mind because everything had just happened. And um, when uh, the, the real inspiration, of course, was, you know, Commons. I, I didn't plan to write a book, but when Commons two sisters and her brother said, what is this? What, how come this four out of four siblings all in their 50s, died in their 60s. You know, it's just mind-boggling for me. And, and people that will hear this on your show will say, I don't you even heard of that. And, and they're not. again, they're not every day, they're not every month, but they're out there. And don't forget all the things that we deal with on these percentages that we talked about before, they're really worldwide. Usually 4% of any population of Alzheimer's in any country is going to be under 65. But those stats are never kept. Uh, kept anyway.
0: Yeah, but when, when it's when it affects you, then it's. at that, That's yeah. now one percent. That's a thousand percent.
1: Yeah. Then you. <laughs> that's right.
0: Now the book "Ice Cream in the Cupboard" has been translated into Spanish and Chinese. Tell us how that project is going.
1: Well, the uh, Spanish book basically, I've been uh, sending them down to the Alzheimer's centers in South America and Central America. Uh, where they have, you know, very uh, difficult facilities, uh, if if anything, to take care of the patients. Nothing like what we have here. Um, so that's doing well. As far as that goes, that's more or less donating on my part. Um, but the uh, Chinese version, which I didn't, uh, had it done in uh, traditional and simple Chinese. Uh, I've not been able to find a publisher for that. So uh, uh, that's still a struggle ongoing.
0: Any idea how many... I think the stats are the same. That many people in China, probably a, a lot. There's a lot of Alzheimer's. Well,
1: it, it's got to be overwhelming number. Yeah. And don't forget the Chinese for years have been saying, listen, I don't know what you guys in America are doing with this Alzheimer's. This is just part of aging. What, what's all this big project you guys are working on here? Yeah. They only had one treatment set in Beijing and one in Shanghai. They've got to have hundreds, hundreds of thousands of cases.
0: Oh like that. Yeah. Oh,
1: uh, one of the things that was done in that case, John, I, I talked to a doctor. Uh, I was going back and forth to China all the time uh, in the logistics part of my job. And I met a doctor one time when we were talking and he said, uh, you know, he said, "Out oh, the Chinese, don't they don't, this is a stigma. If someone yeah. finds out that you have Alzheimer's or well, this dementia behavior, there won't be a wedding if it's a bride and groom and the groom's got dementia in his family, no wedding. Business deals, no business deal if they find out they have dementia on one side. And if, and if they're in the house and the patient, the caregiver's got to go out and it's a phone. It is time to a chair. You know, so that's again. You know, now it's improving. They're addressing this now. I think they're getting back into medications, and so hopefully that'll come along. That's good. You and wrote you know, the, the name ice cream in the cupboard when I when I got back from that trip to Puerto Rico. Um, is I said, well, what am I going to do? Uh, where am I going to go? And no one believes me. And I, we went uh, food shopping, and I left Quarman with the food to put it away. I went to the dry cleaners, and I came back, and I noticed the pantry, which she called the cupboard, from coming up in North Carolina. I said, I saw this white liquid
0: coming down. <laughs> yeah.
1: Coming down the bottom. And I opened up, and I followed the shelves up, and I, I opened up a bunch of canned goods, and there was a deflated box of Briar's Forever ice cream. And I said, I have to get this woman to a doctor somehow. Because she said, There's something wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with me. These things you told me I did, I never did. Yeah. Why are you making these things up? Why are you doing this? Thing? You know, so that was kind of the core or the pivotal point. So I had to name it Ice Cream in the Cover.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Now you wrote the book Fortunate Soldier. Tell us about yeah. that book. And I understand it may become a screenplay.
1: Yes, I'm going to be signing a contract tomorrow or Friday um, with a screenplay writer. His name is uh, Liam Malone. Um, him and I met when I was filming Ice Cream in the Cupboard. And he said, I read this book. And he's only in his 40s. He knows very little about Vietnam War. And he said, I absolutely love this book. I laughed and cried, laughed and cried all the way through it. And he said, you know, he said, I'm a screenplay writer. And maybe we can put something together so so I said, okay, and I had my hands full with ice cream in the cover, and I said, you know what, we'll stay in touch. So they got in touch with me, you know, about uh, three or four months ago, and we started this routine, and, and he's a uh, Writers Guild of America, he's a union writer. So I actually had to join the union in order to sign him.
0: Yeah. You know?
1: So I think we're going to have a, a nice little project, but this one I'm not going to produce. The stress was a bit much, so I think we'll get the script, and then we'll see if we can sell it to a production company.
0: Okay. Pat, did you utilize support groups in your caretaking journey?
1: Well, I became uh, uh, one of the creators, at least on my own, um, for um, the early onset you know, category. When I was the younger man, 49, 50 years old, uh, when we went calling nursing and I started to come on the um, I would go into, uh, well, the support group meets over here. So I went over there, and don't forget that I was a pretty young guy. I'm in my 70s now. But then I was you know, much younger guy. And then walk in, and everybody in the room was 75 either. And they looked at me like, I think you have the wrong
0: group. <laughs> yeah, what are you doing here?
1: Yeah, what are you doing here? I just, you know, this is Alzheimer's, you know. And I, I, I said, I uh, tried to explain it to them, and I, they didn't get it. They, they just, you know, how, how everyone felt so sorry for me, but it wasn't a good group to be with. So I decided to start my own.
0: Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. So, so you're a believer in that. And, and I'm a believer in that too. I think, uh, I think those support groups help a lot.
1: I tried, what I tried to do with this, and it's always worked out well out uh, here again. I got uh, 10 or 15 uh, early onset caregivers. And I said, why don't we all have dinner together? Dinner's on me. Order a steak, meet each other. If you like, have a glass of wine box. Want to One, two, two, three. We had their patients, uh, loved ones, professionally watched. They were at the Alzheimer's Center. So now of these people could take that breather. Yeah. And and they just loved it. Then they became their own support group with each other, with Facebook and Messenger and texting. So they were helping each other.
0: But they became a family. Mo- What's that? They became a family.
1: They became a family. My most moving night of this, I guess it was 15 meetings in, Somewhere been a year or so, a woman came in and uh uh we go around the table and everybody says uh, what dementia they have and who they're who they're there for, who they're caregiving for. And this woman said, Well, I came from Suffolk County, which is about 50 miles from where we were, and she said, But I came here for one reason. I came here to thank Pat Moffat for saving my life. Ron, the tears welled up in my eyes immediately. And she was about two feet from me. And I said, I I, I, said, I don't know what to say. I, I think that's a good thing I guess, yeah, of course. She, so one of the social workers asked her, how do, how do you think? She said, my husband has this disease at 51 years old. He's had it for two years. He's already in bad, bad condition. Nursing home, there's no future. And we have no family. I'm by myself. And this group here is pretty much all what I have. No one in the family really cares about me. And I had completely created my suicide. I had it all planned out and laid out. Somebody said, you know, this room, ice cream in the cupboard, you should read what this guy did. He went through a bit of a a rough time. And I don't think you, you did, but you might get something out of it. And she said, I read Pat's book. And she said, if he can do this, I can do this. Wow. And she said, I pushed my suicide plans outside. And that's why I'm here tonight. I drove the 50 miles to tell you that.
0: Pat, that had to make you feel awfully good.
1: Absolutely. If nothing else happened, if I didn't know one other person for the rest of the time, and that was a good 10 years ago, uh, that's it for me. I did what I could do. That's the pinnacle.
0: Yeah. Uh, Getting outside help to watch the patient. uh, For our audience out there, what advice can you lend the audience on that subject? Uh, how do they go about that? What do they need to watch for as far as some outside help?
1: Trying to go with a professional group that has people that are trained to deal with that. Okay, not just you know. Well, this woman knows how to watch adults or something. You know, well, that, that's not it. Get people that know something about dementia that have some familiarity with a good physical condition, and 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 uh, when you do through these other companies, they're insured. So that that should be part of the uh, the whole situation as well.
0: Can you describe for us uh, when your wife forgot who you were? What was that like?
1: Well, my wife. Well, I'm sorry.
0: The day she for, she forgot who you are, who you were.
1: Oh yeah, that uh, yeah, that's when we knew we we had reached the next plateau. Of, uh, yeah. So I uh, was working at uh, Box International, and I. Uh, Came home from work, briefcase, suit, and tie, and walked in the door and I said, Honey, I'm home. And she came halfway down the stairs from upstairs and she said, You better get out of here right now. Because my husband's gonna be here and he's gonna kick the hell out of you when he gets here. I said, Honey, it's me, it's your husband, it's Matt. No, 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 no. You're not my husband. So I don't think you're gonna sneak into my house. Because when he gets here, and you're wasting your time, stand, you gonna kick your ass. So I decided okay. Let me just grab this and walk out the door. I took the briefcase to coat. And I stood out there about 30 seconds. Just like, uh, first of all, absorbing the fact that this I knew this was going to happen someday. Uh, and here it is. You now it's happened. I walked back and I said, honey, I'm home. She said, great. Dinner's going to be ready in about five minutes. Uh-huh. 30 seconds went by. And that's what this disease does. I was shattered.
0: Speak to the phrase. And I think a lot of people have heard this. If the caregiver doesn't take care of himself, Alzheimer can claim Alzheimer's can claim two victims: patient and caregiver.
1: Yeah, the the, um, the first meeting with uh, Doctor Giselle wolfkorn uh, at the at Northwell Health was uh, the first. Doctor Collins, Doctor Geriatrician, <clears throat> and we talked about our and I was just trying to absorb all this on all the things we had to do. And she said, Mr. Robert, I'm going to leave you with one thing today, and it's the most important. She said, this disease can easily claim two people, and those people are Carmen and you. And she said, the way it gets you is that it drives you to a point that you're working so hard to maintain your wife's safety, your wife's health, doing what you can to make her comfortable in life, but you can't do much more than that. But it runs you down. And your immune system begins to fail. And you start getting, catching all kinds of things. Uh, your, your heart starts to deteriorate, which happened to me. And of course, it was Dr. Wolfgang herself that said, see, here it is. That's why we have to send you away for the antipsychotic drug test. Because you need to get away from it, either break away loop. Because this will kill you. And that was it. Uh, we we you know just and, and I've seen so many people run when I said to them, listen, you need help. Get some." oh no, no, I can take care of my wife. Don't tell me I need help. I said, Well, if you keep it up at the pace you're doing, you're gonna have a heart attack. And in three cases, all three of these men had heart attacks. Fortunately, they were saved in time. But then they changed their tune and hired professional well, help. Pride, not money,
0: you know. Yeah. Pat, do you have any new projects coming up on the horizon?
1: Um, just the, the, uh, ice cream of the, uh, the, I'm sorry, the, um, uh, Fortunate Soldier movie. Uh, that's the biggest thing. Uh, uh, that's, a you know, another great message. I think that trying to bring some levity to Vietnam is what I need to do. Uh, and the, uh, you can't put two million guys through a, an entire war for 10 years and not have a few funny things happen. And that was pretty much what my tour was to, to a great degree. I mean, uh, you know, uh, uh, Dennis Leary, the actor, said that he read the, he read Fortune Cho. He said it's a terrific book, but he said, I, this is about 10 years ago, he said, the American public's not ready for a comedy in Vietnam. And you're not Robin Williams. So, you know, it's not going to be good morning, Vietnam kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, uh, and that's, uh, that, that's the biggest thing. If I can get a few people that went, Vietnam veterans just love it. The they love it. Uh, all veterans love it. So, I think I can change the world a little bit and put a smile on people's faces again. <laughs> I've accomplished something.
0: Absolutely. Pat, what are some of the organizations and resources out there you can recommend for people with a uh, with they, Alzheimer's? Uh,
1: the Alzheimer's Association, I think, is the strongest. It's uh, www.alz.org. In Canada, it's uh, www.alzheimer's.ca. And one particular one that, that has come around, and I was involved with them during the past year, and, uh, it's called DementiaMap.com. This is a very comprehensive site. Um, all kinds of things about caregiving and, and uh uh I was just very impressed by it. So dementia map.com is, is one of my favorites.
0: Okay, dementiamap.com. Map.com, yeah. Okay. For those out there facing this disease as caregivers, uh what lasting advice do you can you give them? What words of wisdom can you give them?
1: Well I have to stay on the fact that you have to take care of your health. Use patience. And I was a guy that had no patience at all. I had to flip my life upside down
0: uh, I to try
1: to deal with coma. It was a difficult task. So if you're not patient, you better get used to it. That's that's the big badge of courage that uh, you're going to have to have. And take care of your own health. Make make good decisions. Think about it. And uh, you know, create a team. Get Try to get your family involved. Try to get let people fill in at certain times so you get that break. Again, it'll help your health if you get someone in to give it. break up the consistent pressure that that caregiver gets on the So, Those are my recommendations.
0: Okay. How can people contact you, Pat?
1: Uh, you can go on patmoffick.com, You can leave a message there. Uh, you can go on icecreaminthecupboard.com or you can go to the Ice Cream in the Cupboard Facebook page. You can leave a message there.
0: Okay, so the main ones are uh, patmoffett.com and uh, icecreaminthecupboard.com. Pat, I want to thank you for being here and sharing your story. I know uh, what you've been through is unbelievably challenging, to say the least. And to share it and offer your insight uh, to others is so commendable of you. I want to thank you for all you do for the Alzheimer community and all your advocacy work to enlighten everyone. I wish you nothing but good health and uh happiness going forward.
1: Thank you, Ron. And this is a great opportunity. Again, this is, you know, uh, um, getting the word out, uh, getting uh, uh, the world a little more known in this uh, early onset uh, category. Uh, awareness is so, so important. And you've done so much for me tonight in helping me get, reach that level. So I much
0: appreciate it. Thank you so my, much. My, my pleasure doing that. I just want to tell the audience, I did read the book, Ice Cream in the Cupboard. It's uh it's got it'll make you laugh and it'll make you cry. Uh, it's a great book. it's it's a great movie. And uh, I highly recommend the book. And we will feature the book uh, on the pa- on the podcast notes and we'll feature the book on our Instagram and our Facebook group, which has thousands of people in it. Uh, comments and suggestions uh, for the podcast, you can email me email me at it's a wrap with rap at gmail.com our facebook group and page is it's a wrap with rap our website is it's a wrap with rap.com our instagram is it's a wrap with rap podcast all the episodes of the podcast are are on youtube it's a wrap with rap the podcast uncut i want to thank everyone for listening please stay safe and for now it's a wrap